Lydia. Maybe it isn't Ryder's block at all, Jerry. Maybe it's Helen block. I don't want to hear about Helen. I don't care about Helen. The trouble is, you do quite clearly. I just thought of a great finish for your book. The end. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. I am Rick. And I am Julia. And today we are watching 1998's Sliding Doors, directed and written by Peter Howitt, starring Gwyneth Paltrow, John Hanna, and John Lynch. And Gene Triplehorn. Yes. Which is why we're watching it. I was disappointed to see she did not feature in the trailer at all. Oh, she was in like a, the she was in there. She didn't have any speaking parts no, in the trailer. No, she did not. Thank goodness. In that scene. Her face was there. Yeah. <laughs> And at one point during our planning stage of hiatus episodes, you're like, is she in this enough to really warrant it being a representative movie? I'm going to say yes. Honestly, the trailer worried me. (laughs) She is in this enough. She is not a main character. She is a secondary character. I freely admit that, but her part is so good. I'm very, very excited about this movie. I have not seen it for many, many years, but I love this movie. And I'm hoping that it translates to my 40-year-old brain. (laughs) We'll see. I can't say that I've seen it before. Let's see. 1998, a Gwyneth Paltrow movie. It was not something that I would have watched when it was out. Oh, no, no, no. This is total romantic comedy chick fodder. Seriously, this would never have been in your wheelhouse if I didn't make you put it on the hiatus list. (laughs) Funny enough, we watched The Mummy yesterday, which features John Hanna as the brother character, Jonathan. Yes. So it's going to be fun to see him again. This movie came out one year before that one. This movie is where I know John Hanna from. Yeah. When I then later on saw him in The Mummy, I was like, oh, hey, it's the guy from Sliding Doors. And it's always now, oh, hey, it's the guy from Sliding Doors, not The Mummy. The Mummy is not my touchstone movie for John Hanna. It's this movie. Just from watching the trailer and hearing about it, cultural osmosis style, I look at this movie in very much the same lens as the dice rolling episode of Community. Oh, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Where you're going to get to the end and Abed's going to be like, oh, I wonder what happened in all those other timelines. I cannot comment on that because I've seen this movie many times. I know how it ends, so yeah. I cannot comment so you on that. can't give it away in the first part. We got to wait until we're <laughs> in the post-watch. Yeah. This is only an hour and 40 minutes, so I can appreciate a good 100-minute movie. Yeah. I think this is just a fun, light movie. It's got good performances. Gwyneth Paltrow, I know she's like this gigantic movie star and everything, but I'm very middle of the road on her. She's a fine actress, but just fine. She's just middle of the road for me. Now, Gwyneth Paltrow, is she the one that made the Goop brand? Yes. Gwyneth Paltrow is Goop. Okay. So she's the one that's coming out with all this weird homeopathic stuff. Yeah. Which is, you know, weird, but that's what happens when you're crazy rich. (laughs) 
I did not realize how thoroughly 90s this movie is till we watched the trailer. <laughs> and Jamiroquai was on the sound credits list. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, crap. This movie's old. So <laughs> this movie's is from the 90s. <laughs> a major blast from the past yeah, is what you're telling it me. It is. Okay. <laughs> I'm just hoping to have fun. Yeah. Having never seen this movie before, I'm looking forward to seeing it for the first time. I'm sure that uh, I'll be able to come out of it with a bit more of an opinion than when we watched Easy Rider. I was so unimpressed by that other one. Mm -hmm. I know how important Easy Rider is. We talked about it in the last episode. But this one, I'm just looking forward to finding the good in it and maybe being a bit more hooked in because it has an actual storyline, I suppose. Very interested to see how they do parallel stories, though. Yes. How they split the time. I don't remember percentage-wise if one gets favored more than the other, but something I really like, and this is not a spoiler because it's literally the cover of the movie, is that in one timeline, Helen, the main character, Gwyneth Paltrow, gets her hair cut and dyed blonde. So literally, one of them is blonde and one of them is brunette. It is so kind of funny. So it makes it really, really easy to tell when you're switching between timelines. So this is a movie from the 90s with Gene Triplehorn and a character in the movie is named Helen. Yes. Just, just... weird that it happened twice in one decade. Right. <laughs> you know, at least Gene Triplehorn isn't also playing a person named Helen. Maybe when the screenwriters, oh, we got Gene Triplehorn for this part. Oh, what? We still don't have a name for the main character. Well, she was in that Waterworld movie and her name was Helen. That's a terrible idea. Let's put it in there. I don't know. I don't suspect... That Peter Howitt would have gone there. No, I think most people don't. Listeners, I am going to play the trailer for you. Listen to that. When we come back, we will have watched this movie and I will be in the know. We'll see you soon. Have you ever wondered what might have been? Would things be different if you caught the train instead of missing it? How much would your life change if you were 10 minutes early? Hello? <laughs> instead of 10 minutes late? Helen? If I had just caught that train, I'd have been home ages ago. Oh, just don't want to go wondering about things like that. Now, Helen's life is about to go down two different tracks. Gwyneth Paltrow and Gwyneth Paltrow in the story of a woman about to choose between a life with a man she's always loved. Terry, I asked a simple question. I mean, there's no need to become Woody Allen. And a life with a man she's just met. I kissed you. Yeah, I spotted that too. Intermedia Films and Mirage Enterprises present a romantic comedy about one woman. I'm over him. No, you're not. I am. And life's infinite possibilities. Don't think that I... I, I... I didn't think that. I'm truly, truly sorry. Two lives, two chances, and a destiny that lies behind two sliding doors. A film by Peter Howitt. And we're back. Julia, what is your initial reaction having rewatched this movie after so long? That it was the same movie that I remembered it being. 
uh, time did not change the movie for me. Is that for better or worse? For better. Okay. For better. I still enjoyed the movie very much. It made me laugh. It almost sort of made me cry. Mm-hmm. Like it wanted to. I just wasn't there. Yeah, it was everything I remembered it being. Okay. I'm very curious about your impression. Honestly, this movie threw me for a bit of a loop late in the third act, and I was really on the fence about whether or not the ending was going to ruin this movie for me. But I have a supposition that while my initial response was going to be the wrong Helen died, now I'm thinking that that's not the case because I think, and feel free to argue against this idea. Mm-hmm. But did all of short-haired blonde Helen's memories go into long-haired brunette Helen? I think saying her memories went into her is maybe strong, but there was definitely like a recombining of the timeline. Yeah. Because of the whole nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition line. That clearly was she remembers things. Like there are things in her brain from the blonde timeline. Mm -hmm. In the blonde timeline, James is rowing on the river and Helen goes to cheer him on. And in the brunette timeline, she sees that race and goes, huh, that's weird. I knew they were going to be there in purple and white jerseys today. Like, I feel like there's leakages of the two timelines along the way. And then at the end, when blonde Helen dies, they merge back together. I think I would have preferred if blonde Helen was the one who got to be the prime timeline. Oh. Absolutely. Blonde Helen was way better than brown haired. Because Brunette Helen had such a hard time of things and got dragged through so much more heartache. Blonde Helen had it together. She had her own business. Yeah, she really did. Both Helens get fired. Mm -hmm. That happens before the split. So both of them are dealing with this upsetting, life altering event in their lives. And then Blonde Helen is also dealing with her boyfriend cheating on her. So the support systems that each of them have for dealing with the interruption in her cash flow are mind-blowingly different. Mm -hmm. Blonde Helen goes and moves in with her best friend, Anna, who is just every bit as supportive. I am on your side. I am here for you. You're going to get your feet under you and you're going to be okay. And never once, even before she opens her business, does Helen stress or worry about rushing out and finding a job. Because- There are no PR jobs available. Mm -hmm. And then we have brunette Helen, who is the support system financially. She has no support system. She has to run out and get a couple of crappy jobs and work herself to death just to get by. So she's not able to make any emotional progress because she works too hard. So all of the emotional progress that blonde Helen gets to make over the course of this movie, brunette Helen is right at that point. At the end of this movie. Yes. Which I think the emotional work that Helen puts into this movie of getting over the fact that Jerry is cheating on her with Lydia, a.k.a. Jean Triplehorn, that was the interesting part of the movie for me. And to think that blonde Helen's timeline was wasted and now brunette Helen has to do all of that again and not in the exact same way because she's got to hold down two part-time jobs... It's incredibly frustrating that we're not going to get what I would say is my preferred timeline as the final result. That in and of itself was an excellent movie. We got some 
breakup and some heartache. We got support. She got a makeover. Yep. That was great. Made it very easy <laughs> to keep the two timelines separated. Yeah. And then she meets a guy and they have a genuine relationship. They meet, go out, hang out several times before they become romantic. Which is excellent. They build a relationship before they switch it over to being a romantic relationship. And a lot of those moments are clearly just coincidences. Because every time in this movie that something special was happening that was just a, a coincidence, there was this little sound effect. <laughs> every single time. Like, it annoyed me by the end. We don't need to be told that something special is about to happen. We're here for a movie. Everything in the movie is supposed to be special. That's the point of the movie. So yeah, we got that sound effect every time. What I really wanted to happen in this movie is for brunette Helen and blonde Helen to meet in some way. And going into the final hospital scene, I was thinking, wouldn't it be crazy if one of the Helens has a major organ failure and the other Helen dies and they harvest the organ from dead Helen and put it back into live Helen as if when they split off, they became two separate individuals and that by this hospital situation, they would come back together physically as well as metaphysically. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would have been fun. If there was something more physical about them coming back together. It wouldn't make much sense based on everything else in the movie. Right, because the movie is not supernatural. No. It explores two timelines based on whether or not she catches the train. And that's really it. I mean, the little detail of Helen knowing the answer of nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition is the only, like, supernatural something in the movie. It, it's really just not a thing. So what do you think of Jerry? Well, I think Jerry is a useless waste of space, and I don't understand why anybody wants to be with him. Yeah, the two loves in his life, Helen and Lydia, are both beautiful, talented, successful women. How did he land both of them? I don't understand what he has to offer. Helen seems so girlish compared to... To Lydia in this movie. Jean Triplehorn, when you look at her in this movie, she is a woman. Gwyneth Paltrow, I don't know if it was an age or just how she presented with the long brown hair, but she didn't strike me as being a matured adult. Very true. If you had told me that Helen was quite a bit younger than Jerry, I would absolutely believe you. She seems naive. Mm -hmm. Whereas Lydia is a grown woman who knows what she wants. And takes it. Just looking up the ages of the actors. Uh-huh. John Lynch, who played Jerry, mm -hmm. was born in 61. Jean Triplehorn is two years younger than him. She was born in 63. Gwyneth Paltrow wasn't born until 72. Okay, so Helen is 11 years younger than Jerry? Yeah. That's the math? Okay, I absolutely buy that. I suspect that Jerry was her first real, serious, live-in relationship. Because... Even in the brunette timeline where she stays with him, she just doesn't seem to know what to do with the relationship. Like she has these clues and suspicions, but never does she follow up on them until it completely blows up. When they have that argument, he's right. Her timing was bad. If you want to ask a question about 
your spouse, your significant other cheating on you, post-coital is not the time. How about pre-coital? Yeah. How about you don't have sex with somebody that you suspect might be cheating on you? Don't have sex with that person. The only thing he was right about was her timing was not great. (laughs) But even then, like, she backs down. That's because he berates her into backing down, but she backs down and she, like, continues on with her life as normal. There is some hardcore gaslighting. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. It was like scary bad. Just seeing the pressure that he was putting on her, it's really easy from a third point of view to say, oh, I would never do that. I would never fall for that. But man, he just is on her for like five minutes, making her feel stupid and small and like everything is her fault. Mm -hmm. Seeing a scene like that, makes you realize how people can be victims of gaslighting because, ouch, it was bad. There are some people that can overpower other people socially. Yeah, which is bonkers because Jerry shouldn't be able to overpower anybody in any sense. No, Jerry should be... Jerry is garbage. ...the wettest blanket ever because that's who he is. Coming out of this movie, I hate Jerry. Yeah, this is why I hate the name Jerry. Plus the way Helen says it constantly jerry i just can't stand the way she says it and it makes me hate the name even more this is awful (laughs) i'm glad that at the end of the movie brunette helen kicks him out it frustrated me a lot that she was basically his prisoner she's in the hospital she fell down the stairs i I, it seems like it feels like he pushed her Oh, no, yeah, I'm well, not saying he, he was trying to grab her and she yanked herself away. Yeah. And in yanking, she flung herself down the stairs. So he was involved in her falling down the stairs. Yeah, I, I can't say for sure that he pushed her down the stairs maliciously because it, it was an accident. It was an accident. Jerry doesn't have enough personality to do that on purpose. Yeah. My assumption, it's not really clear like what injuries she sustained, but head injury. I mean, obviously bodily injury because she lost her baby. Mm-hmm. But if I learned anything from Gone with the Wind, is falling down the stairs can do that to you. Yeah. So she's in a coma for, I don't even think that long, but you know, a little while. And so she wakes up and he's there. And she's recovering and he's there. And she can't go anywhere. And he's there. And she can't get rid of him. Oh, it was so gross. Especially with the way that the affair was exposed. See, that's just another example of Lydia being a woman about it. I don't know if I'm even like, using these terms in the way that I want to, but Lydia takes control of situations. She is an agent of action. She does not allow things to happen to her. Mm -hmm. In the timeline where blonde Helen discovers Lydia and Jerry in bed together, Helen asks Jerry, who is this woman? And Lydia speaks for herself Mm -hmm. because Lydia will not be spoken for. And I really appreciate that about her. But what she does to brunette Helen by setting up an appointment for her to come to her apartment and then getting Jerry to be there at the apartment when Helen shows up, that's a power move. It is. And frankly, it's really dirty. I want to think good things about Lydia because I really do like her as a character. And we'll chat more about her as a character for sure. But man, that was dirty. You know what? It's something she had to do. Because she was dealing with a spineless worm like Jerry. Uh, That is very true. He was going to keep hooking and dragging people along through this meandering miasma of lies and falsehoods 
unless someone kicked him to the curb and dragged him out into the light. And that was Lydia. In both timelines. Yeah. And then on the opposite side, we have Helen, who is our protagonist. She's supposed to be our favorite person in the movie. She's supposed to be the driver of the plot. But both Helens become pregnant. And neither Helen has the guts to tell the father. How many times did they come close? Or especially brunette Helen, Jerry is never available. He always has something else going on and rushes Helen off. But she never puts her foot down and says, no, you are not going anywhere. We need to have a conversation. I am pregnant. She keeps letting him take control. She never takes control. It's one of the things I also don't like about brunette Helen is that Jerry being so pathetic rubs off on brunette Helen. He drags her down. He does to drag his her down. Level. In Blonde Timeline, when he's pleading for her to come back, he says things like, remember how good we were together? I'm like, no, I do not remember how good you are together. <laughs> Something that drove that home for me was that they were never good together is especially brunette Helen, but both of them do it, is that anytime they're around Jerry, blank face. Gwyneth Paltrow is the best at having no expression at all. And actually looking at the cover, blonde Helen is right side up and brunette Helen is upside down. Blonde Helen is smiling. Brunette Helen is not. She has really no expression on her face at all because that's how she spends the whole movie. Yeah. Because she's constantly being pushed down and dragged around by Jerry. And then even blonde Helen, when she gets back around Jerry, same thing. She like shuts off. But when she's around James, she's bright and smiling and she's laughing and participating. She has friends. She has a circle of friends that she does interesting things with. Mm -hmm. Did she ever do anything interesting with Jerry? Nope. She never goes out to dinner with a group of people. She never uh, has a post-rowing meet jazzercise session. <laughs> That's not what they're doing. Like they're uh, getting Sponsored epileptic fit? Yeah. They're jumping around together because yeah. they're building camaraderie. She never attends the opening of a restaurant that she did all of the PR for. Right. She doesn't do anything. Blonde except Helen does work hard. So much. Well, yeah. See, brunette Helen Like, she is can't stuck. do any of those things because she's working all the time. And the one scene where brunette Helen and Jerry go out the night that the timeline split, it's just the two of them. Mm -hmm. They both have best friends. They could bring people in to this circle of debauchery for the evening, but they don't. It's just the two of them. Mm -hmm. Because Jerry is a wet blanket. He doesn't have fun. Speaking of friends, Anna was definitely the best friend that Helen could have asked for. Oh, yeah. She was so great. Just amazing person. I also kind of love Russell. Yeah, he. <laughs> I love Russell because he never moves from that bar bench. There's one time where say, he, there's there's a there's there's one or two shots. One time where he's like in a kitchen and he calls Jerry saying, "Hey, Helen was looking for you. You weren't with me." Yeah. Every other time he's at that same booth at and, the bar, and he's always so dismissive of Jerry. Like Jerry is sitting there. How are they best friends? Jerry's having an emotional breakdown, and Russell's like, "Oh, sucks to be you, buddy." Yeah. Glad I'm not you. Oh, my goodness. You sad sack. And he does it in such a way that you really get the sense that they have had this conversation before. Yeah. That Russell has already given his opinion about 
Jerry's behavior. And now that he is reaping the fruits, Russell's like, that's on you. I gave you what I could. Mm -hmm. I can't give you any more. And he delights in it. He laughs at Jerry so much. Every time he laughed, I laughed. He has a great laugh. Oh, let's talk about Lydia. I love Lydia. She Uh, was in a good portion of this movie. She was definitely the fourth lead. The only reason that I didn't mention her at the beginning is because they only list three actors on the Mm -hmm. IMDb starring section. But yeah, she was definitely a major player for anyone that was wondering. I liked Lydia. It was hard to fault her for anything that was happening. Right. I mean, yes, she went into the relationship with Jerry knowing that he was in a relationship and she did it on purpose. So it's not like she's blameless in this movie, but from the perspective of she is a grown woman who is trying to live her life in a way that she sees fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what she's doing. And she does things that are malicious and she does things that are dirty. But her speech at the end of their relationship in the brunette timeline, her speech is very clear. Like, she's just trying to win Jerry back and doing everything that she possibly can to do that because she wants to be with him. And Jerry is the one who won't leave Helen and is deciding to keep both relationships going. So I definitely appreciated that little speech that she does when they're on the Dorset trip and yeah. She's actively trying to sabotage the, the relationship that Jerry is trying to keep up with Brunette Helen. And the whole time that she's making this impassioned speech to him and it's not getting through to him. Oh, no, he's just staring blankly. He's just such a dolt. But despite all of the passion in her words, I'm sitting there thinking, why? What is so special about Jerry? He is a novelist who can't finish a book. The man doesn't own a bed frame. (laughs) He has no prospects. He spends all day hanging out in the library. Not that I'm disparaging people that go to libraries, but I don't see any reason that she would want to be with Jerry. Yeah, he has no redeeming qualities. Does he have a large penis and we just never get to see it? I mean, it's PG-13. I understand why we wouldn't see it. But still, I don't understand. That is a mistake that they made in the movie. They did not let us know why people want to be in a relationship with him. I am on board for making him obnoxious and gross. Yeah, we need to be able to root against him so that we can root for Helen and James. Cool. But give us something. Yeah. Tell us that he has a lordship. Maybe he's independently wealthy. Something that would make him a good relationship prospect. But no, he's unemployed. Helen has to work two jobs to support the both of them. He's literally a bump on the log, and I just don't get it. So the money thing. So in brunette Helen timeline, she has to work two jobs to keep things afloat. Mm -hmm. But in the blonde Helen timeline, she leaves him, and he's still fine. Yeah. So how is he fine financially? I think he has money, and he keeps it secret. Like brunette Helen didn't need to get two jobs? Mm Mm-hmm. I think Jerry is selfish enough to have money, keep it secret, let Helen get two jobs so that he can have more free time without her. Why do women want to be with this guy? I could not possibly tell you. It makes no sense to me. (laughs) Yeah, I really don't understand it. We've brought up in the last couple movies the soundtrack. Yeah. This movie's soundtrack is such a perfect encapsulation of the late 90s. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. 
the movie ends with Dido and it starts with Blair's have fun go mad. Like, can you think of two more quintessentially late 90s turn of the millennium style music? I mean, aside from that, Space Monkeys is on there. Aqua, Jamiroquai, Amy Mann's on there. Yeah, it's a really good soundtrack. And then you throw in some Benny and the Jets. Oh, absolutely. Benny and the Jets always makes me think of sex. Because of this movie? Because of this movie. Okay. Launching off of the Elton John there, Jerry doesn't like Elton John, and yet he owns a cassette for Elton John. They're not listening to the radio. They are listening to a cassette tape. Yeah. Because the next song that comes on is still another Elton John song, and he turns it off. Mm -hmm. If you so vehemently do not like Elton John, why have a cassette tape? Here's my proposal. Elton John has always been who Jerry and Lydia have sex to. They had a prior relationship years ago. That's right. And she went to America. And she went to America. He moved on to Helen, and now she's back. So it has always been their sex music. Oh. So, so Jerry didn't want to mix those two worlds up. So he told Helen that he doesn't like Elton John and he only listens to Elton John when, when he's with Lydia. That makes a lot of sense. Because he's a liar. <laughs> Cause he's, and cause has to he's lie about stupid things like liking elton john and he lies you know like a liar liar (laughs) it's from john mulaney oh (laughs) that's right they don't overdo it with the soundtrack i think it's a good batch of selections and i think it works well would i necessarily buy the soundtrack separate from the movie me probably not i'm a big 90s guy but even so probably not uh i might have owned it I mean... You know what? I'm pretty sure I did own it. You were in a CD buying mood back then. Yeah. And soundtracks are the best CDs to buy because you get a whole bunch of different artists and different songs. Yeah. They're curated of, playlists. Yeah. Instead of a whole bunch of songs by the same artist, and you probably won't ha- like half of them. Mm-hmm. More than half of them. You probably will only like one or two. <laughs> when I was a CD buyer, I bought lots of soundtracks. Like The Bodyguard. Yeah. It was my first CD. So... Would you like to dip into the reception of this movie back in 1998? I would. So, talking about the box office. According to Wikipedia, this movie had a budget of $6 million. It opened at number 17 on the U.S. box office with about $830,000 during its first weekend. It ended up grossing $11,841,000 in the United States and Canada. It also saw success in the United Kingdom, where it was set, and was the highest grossing local production for the year, with a total box office gross in excess of 12 million euros. The film's total worldwide takings totaled over 67 million dollars. That's why you hire Gwyneth Paltrow. Where did this fall in her filmography? So Gwyneth Paltrow started on TV in 1989. So this was right after Emma, right before Great Expectations. She was very busy in 1998. In 98, she was in Shakespeare in Love, Hush, A Perfect Murder, Great Expectations, and Sliding Doors. Yeah, Didn't she get some Academy Awards? Yeah, Shakespeare in Love. Recognition for Shakespeare in Love? Yeah, that was the movie where she was up for uh, Best Actor and 
For some reason, it was made like this huge deal about her winning or not. And there was something about what she was going to wear. It was like a really big deal what she was going to wear. And I remember that I was not a particular fan of the dress, but I'm also not going to critique someone's clothing. So it was a dress. (laughs) If she liked it, it was a great dress. All right. Now, looking at this movie, you can definitely tell that it had a bigger budget than something like Easy Rider, but it definitely struck me as a not huge budget movie. Like $6 million is a very modest sum to make a movie in. Yeah. Not accounting for inflation, I assume. Yeah, which feels very appropriate. This movie was not a grand scale. It was a rom-com. That was it. It wasn't trying to do a whole bunch of stuff. It was a rom-com with a gimmick. It wasn't Waterworld. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I got such a kick out of Lydia saying, I don't want to hear about Helen. (laughs) I don't care about Helen. (laughs) Oh, that was one of those scenes where I felt for Lydia. Nobody wants to keep hearing about your ex. Mm. Or I guess in her situation, the other woman. Yeah. Well, at that point in that timeline, they were. Oh, were they broke? Up. Was that was that, that was blonde, blonde timeline? Oh, yeah, okay. it was blonde timeline where Lydia broke up with him anyways because he was sad about breaking up with Helen. That's right, because that was after the group epileptic episode the, or something. Yeah, the sponsored epileptic fit. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, <clears throat> something like that. Critically speaking, mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes gives this film a score of sixty-five percent based on fifty-four reviews, with the consensus reading, despite the gimmicky feel of the split narratives, the movie is watchable due to the winning performances by the cast. Metacritic gives this film a score of fifty-nine out of a hundred based on twenty-three reviews, indicating the reaction as mixed or average. Time out described the film as essentially a romantic comedy with a nifty gimmick. Angie Arago of Empire gave the film three out of five stars, and Roger Ebert gave it two out of four stars and was critical of the screenplay. Now, you mentioned that uh, <laughs> the, screenplay. the screenplay must have been something to write because of how much... they Everybody, everybody stuttered. Yeah. Everybody except Lydia. Because she was the lone American in the cast. Well, Jerry's American, too. Oh, he is? Yes. Oh, he had an accent, so I just assumed that he was a Brit. Oh, no, he didn't really, he didn't have an accent. Oh. He was had an American accent. Okay. He's just an idiot. I thought it was that Lydia was an American and she moved back to America for a while and left Jerry behind. He said, I couldn't afford to go with you. Yeah. That's why I thought he was English. Oh, no. No, okay. he has an American accent. Oh, okay. I, I didn't pick up on it. Yeah. But yeah, everybody is constantly fumbling over their words and not completing sentences. Not completing sentences. Yeah. It drives me nuts. It can be charming in a way sometimes, but they're always doing it. It's very Hugh Grant. There is one point in the movie when Jerry and Brunette Helen have their fight where she questions him about the brandy glass and he gets all defensive and whatnot. Yeah. And she talks about him going all Woody Allen. Yes. And I think it would have been more appropriate for her to say, don't go all Hugh Grant on me because, you know, he's the one that goes, oh, it's quite so sorry. And he's just stuttering around British like. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what we haven't brought up yet? The joke that aged like milk. Oh, yeah. The mention of Gary Glitter. So that's Which in the boating scene. I with didn't James know who that Helen, was yeah. until this viewing. I just learned who Gary Glitter was like the last few years. So when all my previous watchings, 
I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, when James is talking about, oh, I'm still hung up on this girl. We broke up when we were eight years old. Pamela. How did he put it? She left him for Gary Glitter. Which just does not sound good. Oh, yeah. And then he went on to say, oh, yeah, she wanted to touch him there. (gasps) Uh, (laughs) Oh, that makes it even worse. Yeah, because. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's bad. It's bad. I had no idea that that joke was going to age so poorly. (laughs) What was your least favorite? My least favorite part of this movie was the fact that every woman in this film seemed to consider Jerry a viable romantic partner. (laughs) I know we've already got into it, yeah, but it was by far the one thing that I could not get behind. I could not get behind the idea that anybody would want to be with him, that anybody would fight over him, and that he had any sort of desirable aspects to his character or his living situation. I mean... I don't understand it, and I never got on board with it. Yeah, I agree. And it was by far my least favorite part of this movie. The fact that Lydia and Helen would go through so much trouble and so much frustration and heartache over this guy. Did not like that at all. Same. I'm totally on board with that. My least favorite part is, of course, about Jerry. It's the scene where Helen asks him about the brandy glass, and he goes all Woody Allen on her. and. He's relentless. Really, his problem is that she has ruined the mood. And it's just so nasty. I'm not sure that the story needs it. Do we need Helen to be gaslit by him? No. Helen is meek enough on her own. We don't need to see her being pushed around like that. I'm not sure that it really added anything to the movie except to show how gross Jerry is. We already know how gross Jerry is. Yeah, we don't need help in that department. Yeah, we did not need this scene to drive it home. That scene, I think, was one of the things that really changed for me in a more adult perspective between when I watched it in the early 2000s versus now. It never made me feel so gross before, but now as an adult who has experienced the world and has experienced lots of different people in the world and has seen the movie Gaslight... (laughs) It really hits different now at just how extreme that scene is. Mm. All right, let's brighten the mood. What was your favorite part? I think my favorite part of this movie was just how little Russell cared about (laughs) the intricacies of Jerry's romantic life. Like, Russell is never going to be a champion for the women in this film because he has next to no interaction with them. I think... The only time we even hear about Russell having anything to do with Helen is when he calls Jerry and he talks about an off-screen meeting that the two of them had where she was hunting for Jerry and so she went to find Russell. But yeah, Russell could care less about all of the trouble that Jerry has gotten himself into and you can tell that they're friends, but he's just so dismissive of Jerry's troubles and I love that. You really get the sense that this is not new. And that Russell has probably tried to be helpful in the past and to give advice and to be supportive fruitlessly Mm -hmm. because Jerry's an idiot and doesn't think about the future or scenarios or or, the present or other people (laughs) yeah, or anything. Oh, I love the idea that Russell has just given up on giving him real advice and now is just screwing with him. 
Russell was probably one of my favorite parts of this movie that I felt like calling out. I have two favorite parts. The first one is the one I planned on having as my favorite the whole time. And then the second one is the one I decided just now was also my favorite. So number one is Lydia's breakup scene in Dorset. So she's in the bathroom and she stubs her toe. Like seriously, like cry out, hobble, swear up and down, kind of stub your toe. We've all done that. We all know her pain. All right. It's nothing like really serious, but a stubbed toe is nothing to laugh at. And she doesn't know that Jerry's on the phone and he gets all mad at her because she's being loud. I think she knows that he's on the phone. Do you think she did that on purpose? Oh, yeah. Really? That never occurred to me before. I think that was part of her Her attempting to sabotage the relationship because when she launches into, what do you think I'm doing? This is exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to do this. Try to drag you kicking and screaming into adulthood. Okay, that does kind of change that scene for me a little bit because what drives me, and that's what I don't like about Jerry in the scene, is that he insists that she answer him. What are you trying to do? Well- Like, okay, before that point of view that you just gave, my point of view was she wasn't trying to do anything. She stubbed her toe. She was reacting in a natural way to being in pain. Mm -hmm. But he insists on her answering that question, what are you trying to do? But coming from your perspective of she did that on purpose, that does kind of change that a little bit. Anyways, doesn't change that her speech is my favorite part, that we have this adult woman who takes control of situations coming to this realization that she can't take control of this situation. Jerry is uncontrollable. He is such a limp noodle that you can't get him on your fork. Mm -hmm. And she comes to that realization, has this great speech about trains, and then walks out. It's fantastic. It's not perfect. I wish she hadn't at the very end said, we're done, and then gone, Again, I wish she hadn't said again because it really kind of weakened her a little bit, but it was still a great speech. Yeah. And it really helped cement Lydia as a semi-sympathetic character. Okay, my second favorite part is in the beginning when Helen catches Jerry with Lydia and runs off. She first goes to the bridge and then she goes to the bar where she gets found by Anna and Anna takes her home. And then in the coming days... She is still pining for Jerry for some unknown reason. And Jerry never comes around. He never calls her. He never went looking for her. Even Russell points out, oh, you went to Anna to find her. Well, you're a crackpot sleuth. He didn't go anywhere else. He didn't try to find her other than the one obvious spot. And Mm -hmm. it's because he doesn't know her. He's not paying attention well enough to know when She feels sad she goes to this bridge or she'll go to her favorite bar and smoke and drink. He doesn't know that about her because he's an idiot who's not paying attention to other people. But, and this is my favorite part, when blonde Helen and James have a fight, James goes everywhere. Yeah. He goes to the diner where they first had milkshakes. He goes to Clive's and then he goes to the bridge where he ultimately finds her. And he went to Anna's as well. Yeah, he went to Anna's, diner, Clive's. The bar where Anna likes to drink. Oh, that's right. The bar, too. And the bridge. Yeah. So everywhere that they had interacted, he went there. Just running all over the city looking for her. Looking for her. Like, he put forth the effort to actually fix the thing that had gone wrong. Where Jerry did not. Nope. Did not at all. Oh, Jerry is so gross. 
So James is, you know, way superior because he actually wants to be with Helen. Yeah. Jerry doesn't want to be with Helen until his writer's block is so bad that he needs her back. I- I'm really not sure why he wants her back. Because she's his muse. I guess Which is so. just sickening. Which is very Shakespeare in love, isn't I it? I wanted Helen to throw Jerry off that bridge. Like, I wanted her to just bring him to that bridge and throw him off of it into the river so that he would break his neck and die. There's a moment that has stuck with me since the first time I saw this movie, probably in 1998. It's in the scene where blonde Helen goes to visit him because he begged her to. Mm -hmm. And they're standing face to face. And it's the part where he's talking about, we were so good together. Don't you remember how good we were together? And the lighting, his eyes are completely black. Like his face is lit brightly and slightly sweaty and his gross hair his 90s hair it's very 90s hair Mm -hmm. he has is like falling down in his face in a way that's supposed to be charming or something i don't know it was never charming to me and the lighting on his eyes they are completely black Mm. i'm like yeah that seems right because your soul is black (laughs) we spent most of this hour Hating on Jerry. (laughs) Yeah, appropriately so. Yeah, he just doesn't have any redeeming qualities. Yeah. To wrap all of this up, I was not disappointed with Sliding Doors. I really liked that we watched a movie with a plot this time around. (laughs) Two plots. Exactly. It made up for the last one. It did make up for the last one. All right. Well, that's another mark in its favor. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I had a good time with Sliding Doors. It's not one that I would seek out on my own normally. So I'm glad that we took this opportunity to watch it. Me too. I'm glad that it held up from my viewing of it in the 90s and the 2000s when I used to watch it more often. I'm glad that I still like it. I mean, except for the Gary Glitter joke, but yeah, you know. Except for the <laughs> Gary Glitter joke. <laughs> but back when I was a teenager and a younger adult, this was a movie that I watched on rotation. Yeah. I watched it all the time. I would just throw it on, may or may not pay attention to it, but I would just throw it on. And I think it still deserves that spot in my rotation. Yeah. I work on the computer all day, so I'll usually throw a movie on in the background that I've seen a lot, so I don't need to pay attention to the plot. This is absolutely one of those movies that I could put on while I'm working and just let it go and enjoy it. Well, listeners, that does it for us. We've got a train to catch. We're going to try and get on it without creating any weird paradox timelines. In our next hiatus episode, it's time for more 90s era Kevin Costner as he teams up with Morgan Freeman in 1991's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham, produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our website is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. Like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute. And support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash MadMaxMin. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute. We'll see you next time.